Shalom, this is Rabbi Tama Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you commentary on Padasha number 36, Baha Alotka, when you set up, and that's in Bamidbar, Numbers 8 1 through 12, 16. And our Haftarah is out of Zechariah chapter 2, Brit Kadesha reading out of Hebrews 3. Now, for those who are looking for number 35, I do have that on the menu uh, from last year. So uh, if you want to catch up and uh, put everything in chronological order, uh, you can go back and look at Parasha number, number 35. So we discussed Parasha Naso two weeks ago as we celebrated Shavuot on June 4th according to the Essene calendar. Today we resume with the regular Masyonic schedule to discuss this Parasha number 36. There are several passages in Exodus that address the procedure for constructing and lighting the menorah or the lampstand. The symbology and significance of these instructions, which today includes the actual lighting and placement of the lamps, is a study in itself. We previously learned that the fourth lamp in the lampstand symbolizes the servant lamp, which symbolizes Yeshua, as the one in the center of the lampstand from which all others draw their light. He is the fourth lamp in the lampstand. Uh, in the temple menorah and he is also alluded to uh, as the fourth word in the uh, Genesis 1-1. Uh, in Judaism they do not uh, translate the word et, alif tav, but we have uh, the complete scriptures and we certainly see that in Revelation where he is the beginning and the end, alif tav, uh, the alpha and omega. Uh, so he is uh, uh, present in the beginning before everything uh, came to be. It's not difficult to embrace this uh, truth because there is a conversation between uh, himself, with himself, as Yahweh, uh, God, Yeshua, uh, as the servant role. So he is not a trinity. He is a complex or compound unity. And we can help uh, clarify that with people who don't understand just by looking at ourselves. We have different roles in our lives. Uh, we may be mothers, daughters, sisters, lovers, friends, employees, whatever. We do not physically split ourselves to fulfill the role that we need to at that particular moment. We simply manifest the role that we need at the time, just as Yahshua did as Messiah. He manifested himself physically so that man could actually have someone tangible to see and he came to teach us how to live his written Torah uh, with compassion all right so we have grace and law uh, the complete um, equation for salvation anyway there are several passages in Exodus as I talked about uh, that show us how to uh, construct and light the menorah, how that was done then, and its symbology to Yeshua. The seven lamps may also be compared to the seven assemblies discussed in the book of Revelation, all of which God addressed through John's writing. We learn that the light is to burn day and night, indicating that God is active in our lives around the clock. We also learn that the lamps are to burn forward, again, symbolic of our purpose on this earth to shine our light before men that God would be glorified and his name would be made known throughout the nations. There is so much more to learn from the description of the menorah and the lampstands, which is addressed in previous Padashot, 
And you can go to our website at rabdavis.org and look at those previous Barashot and see more detailed teachings on the Temple Menorah and the symbology. But today I want to cover a couple of other points in the parasha that are not discussed very often. Now, the purification process for the Levitical priesthood is also a major portion of this parasha. This process includes being sprinkled with water and ashes from the para aduma, that's the red heifer, for decontamination, shaving their bodies and bathing for decontamination, then the laying of hands, similar to the laying of hands on sacrificial animals. Finally, they undergo dedication by being elevated before the Lord at the tabernacle and then given to the charge of the Kohanim to whom they are subordinate. Among their duties is guarding the tabernacle and the nation. In case of war against Israel, the Levites are responsible for leading the offensive. Another area of discussion is the establishment of an alternative date for Pesach should those who want to obey the command be barred due to ritual impurity or uh, being on a long journey at the time. These individuals are to celebrate Pesach exactly one month later. Those who choose not to celebrate Pesach as commanded are cut off from their people. This is serious business. And all those who do not follow God's designated times or just pick and choose which ones they'll follow and how are going to be in some real deep trouble with God in the end if they don't turn around and repent and follow his Torah, his way. This mandate applies to the native Israelite and the stranger, and it says so. So we can't blame it on uh, saying that it's for the Jews only or that it was historical and not in effect anymore. It's for anyone who considers themselves a true believer. And true believers are defined in God's Torah, lest there be any question. Romans 1, uh, chapters 1 through 3, John chapter 14, and there are uh, seven times in the book of Revelation uh, who is considered a true believer. Those who carry the testimony of Yeshua, that is, trusting in his faithfulness and being reconciled to God through him and following the commands of God. You can't only do one. You've got to do both. This is a common theme in God's Torah for those who want to be included as one of God's people. This concept is substantiated and validated throughout God's Torah. Anybody who wants to enjoy salvation and an eternity with God must follow the quote-unquote house rules. As a side note, the plan of salvation throughout God's Torah follows the same process as the Jewish wedding. Following this process, Israel, who accepted the marriage contract, if you will, which are the Ten Commands, remains on Sinai for nearly a year, just as newlyweds spend a year together before the man must be available to go to war. We see references to Judah being the wife of God and Israel, the soon-to-be bride of Yeshua, described in the book of Revelation. A deeper explanation also requires more time than can be devoted on one Shabbat, but I did cover this in Padasha number 34, and again, you can go to the website, uh, for more information on the Jewish wedding, or you can just Google it on your favorite uh, um, search engine and get that information. Now, more information can be found on the website, as I said, uh, but it the Bride of Yeshua is not the church. That is a mistranslation of Ecclesia, called out ones, and called out ones are those that I mentioned, defined by Yeshua as true believers. The Torah simply does not teach 
church replacement theology as Christianity does today. Again, one rule for all applies in God's Torah for those who want to be considered a good and faithful servant in God's economy, not a two-tier justice system like we have in this country today. Grace is not a golden ticket to heaven that allows us to eat forbidden foods, negate God's mandated designated times, and even adulterate and desecrate Shabbat. His grace does not exclude his truth and righteousness. In Exodus 20, verse 6, we read the third of the Ten Commandments of God. Pay close attention to this. Quote, You are to have no other gods before me. You are not to make for yourselves a carved image of any kind or representation of anything in heaven above, on the earth, beneath, or in the water below the shoreline. You are not to bow down to them or serve them, for I, Adonai, am your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now those who hate him mean abrogating his commands, not following them anymore, desecrating Shabbat, changing it to Sunday, following Easter and Christmas and Halloween and all of those pagan rituals. And then moving on in the quotes, but displaying grace to the thousandth generation of those who love me and obey my commands. So Christianity teaches that uh, Jews and Israelites think we're, we have to be under the law. Well, we are. We're under God's laws. And they should be too. You know, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. Many of those we can't follow right now because we don't have a temple yet, but there will be a millennial temple. And the sacrificial system will be reinstituted, as said in the book of Ezekiel. Um, but there are 1,059 commands in the New Testament, more correctly translated as Brit Kaddishah, the refreshed, renewed covenant. It's like amendments to the Constitution. It's not a New Testament that does away with the old. Other gods or anyone or anything that distracts us from following God's commandments out of love for him. We don't follow his commands because we hate it or feel like he's going to beat us if we don't. We do it because we love him. He's our father. This may include family, friends, money, jobs, possessions, to name some of the basic distractors. And I can tell you, the God that Christianity follows is not the God of Israel. If you'd like to get into that more with me, go to the website, rabdavis.org. Hit that link on uh, Ask the Rabbi, and I will talk with you and share with you the truth about all of this. There are numerous scriptures that validate the dangers of placing anything or anyone before our service to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You want to be an ancestor of Abraham, who was a convert? He was Hebrew, Ivory. That's what it means. He crossed over. I make a point to say God of Israel and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as I said, because Christianity often teaches that they and, uh, uh, they and observant Israelites follow the same God. And this is not true. True Israelites follow a different God. We follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Readers who would like more information, as I said, can go to the website, and I'll be happy to share this with you out of love and concern for salvation for you. This brings us to our next subject, which is discussed in Numbers 10, 29-33. And it says, Moshe said to Hovab, the son of uh, Reuel, the Midiani, Moshe's father-in-law, we are traveling to the place about which Adonai said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, because Adonai has promised good things to Israel. But he replied, I will not go. I would rather go back to my own country and my own kinsmen. 
Moshe continued, please don't leave us because you know that we have to camp in the desert and you can serve as our eyes. If you do go with us, then whatever good Adonai does for us, we will do the same for you. So they set out from Adonai's mountain and traveled for three days, unquote. Now there's often confusion about who Hobab is, although he is described as a Midianite and Moshe's father-in-law. Well, the name Hobab is another name for Yitro or Jethro. The name Hobab means friend, devotee, or admirer. And this name for Yitro is used to describe him both as a friend to Moshe and the Israelites and devoted to the God of Israel. We have further evidence that Yitro acknowledged God as the one true God when he told Moshe, quote, Now I know that Adonai is greater than all other gods, because he rescued those who were treated so arrogantly, unquote. This is in reference to Yitro learning that God had delivered Israel from the Egyptians. Yitro also offered a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Another point on today's parasha as it relates to Shabbat and the prohibition on the preparation of food is made uh, referring to chapter 11, 7 through 10. Now, the people would gather up the man, it's described as man or manna. They would grind it up in mills or use a mortar and pestle to grind it up. Then they would cook it in pots and make it into loaves. Now, there is obviously a process of preparing manna rather than simply eating it as the form in which it came down from heaven. So from this narrative and the prohibition against any mundane work on Shabbat, we can understand that food preparation is a mundane task and should not be done on Shabbat. Our meals for Shabbat should be prepared before sundown on Friday night. Finally, we're reminded that the complaints of a few are often attributed to an entire assembly or society in which the majority remain silent. In the first instance, the people began complaining about the hardships of the journey, which are not specified. God causes a fire to consume the outskirts of the camp as sort of a shadow across the bow. The people cried to Moshe. He prayed to God and the fire abated. That warning shot did not seem to prompt the people to change their attitude to one in repentance and gratitude, just like the incident of 9-11 in the United States did not prompt the country to repentance. That's why things are continuing to get worse, and they will. Check out the book of Deuteronomy. And you'll find out what's going to happen as things continue in response to human rebellion towards God's laws, his commands. Instead, a mixed crowd grew greedy for an easier life. This attitude in complaining people in the desert who's spreading to the Israelites who added a complaint about food, of all things. Imagine, a people who had been delivered from Egypt, that's representative of the sinful lifestyle, was led by God in the cloud by day and the fire by night, who provided manna from heaven, complaining about this miraculous provision and their lives as they traveled. The people were demanding meat. This rebellious attitude was about to be dealt with by God in a way that only he could accomplish. Moshe was distraught and he was in great despair, with approximately a million people in his charge who were complaining and becoming more of a burden than he could bear alone. Well, God came to his rescue and had Moshe call out 70 leaders of the people who would receive a portion of the Spirit to help Moshe bear the burden of the quarrelsome people. Those who received a portion of the Spirit prophesied at that time, but not afterward. Two men who stayed in the camp, rather than going out to the tent, and continued to prophesy in the camp. 
But this wasn't seen as disobedience, but a virtuous act. Moshe was notified, but rather than becoming jealous, he said, quote, I wish Adonai would put his spirit on all of them, unquote. The Lord always intervenes at the perfect time to protect his glory and allow his will to be accomplished. Prophecy completed by the 70 elders in and outside of the tent. God not only causes a flood of quail to be blown near the camp, the people went out to gather them from a heap three feet deep, covering all sides of the camp at a distance of about a day's journey. Unfortunately, as the people were eating the quail, God caused a terrible plague that killed the greedy ones. The people were buried, and the place was named Kivrot Hata'ava, which translates as Graves of Greed. We are to be content with our portion, whether it be manna or an eight-course meal. God is our provider and knows our needs before we do. Avraham was the first to acknowledge the one true God is our provider and says as much in Genesis 22:13. Quote, Avraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in place of his son. Avraham called the place Adonai Yireh. That means Adonai will see to it. Adonai provides. As it is said to this day, on the mountain Adonai is seen. Unquote. May we always remember that God will provide the needs of those who love him. That means following, emulating, obeying him. See John 14 for Yeshua's definition of those who love him. Romans chapter 1 through 3 for the definition of a true Jew and the book of Revelation for the sevenfold witness of a true believer. Now we go into the Haftarah, which is out of Zechariah 2. This is a beautiful narrative of comfort for those who love God, but it's a death knell for those who were and are against God and Jerusalem and Israel. God calls the people out of Babel a statement that parallels God calling people out of apostate religion in Revelation 18.4. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sons or contact any of her plagues. That means share in her sins, I'm sorry. God promises to come and dwell among his people, that he will take Jerusalem, his choice. We read of how the accuser will stand to our right, and accuse us of all our sins before Yeshua. In this narrative, Yehoshua is the subject symbolic of each of us standing before Yeshua, expressed as an angel of Adonai. The angel of the Adonai, Yeshua, is the one who directs that Yehoshua's filthy rags be taken from him, taking his guilt away and preparing to clothe him in fine robes and a clean turban upon his head. Of critical significance is the next sentence, for Yeshua gives us the requirements for entry into his rest. 3.6 reads, quote, Then the angel of Adonai gave Yehoshua this warning. Adonai Zevaot, that means God of hosts, says this, If you will walk in my ways, obey my commission, judge my house and guard my courtyards, then I will give you free access among those who are standing here, unquote. This is just one example in scripture of many that makes it clear of the fact that we are not passive pawns in God's plan. Rather, we're active participants who have free will to either follow God's commands, his Torah, or assimilate with those outside of his Torah. Those who choose to follow their own quote-unquote version of God 
will be included those who will be sentenced to suffer the second death. We must, that's spiritual death, by the way, not just a physical death. We must carefully examine what we believe and follow and why we believe it. We can know for sure if what we believe and how we live is consistent with the God of Israel's plan and instructions if they are found in his Torah, his Torah, the laws of God. I'm not speaking of the oral Torah. I'm referring to God's written word in the Hebrew. We have a plethora of technological devices that make it extremely easy to research the true meaning of Scripture. We must not allow ourselves to become complacent and rely on the numerous mistranslations of God's Torah, the King James Version being the most mistranslated based on 20 years of personal research. We must strive to rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15, and work out, and it says that in the Bible, I said, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Here's just one of many examples, such as the one in our Haftarah that clearly tells us faith without works is dead. James 2, 26. There is no way around the requirement to follow God's instructions. Grace alone just will not measure up with God, so says God. Mabrik Kadashah out of Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, and this narrative draws the parallel between Moshe and Yeshua, which there are many. Moshe was faithful in all his house, as he was appointed by God. But Yeshua deserves more honor than Moshe. Quote, Just as the builder of the house deserves more honor than the house, every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Unquote. While Moshe was faithful in all God's house, as a servant giving witness to things God would share later, but Yeshua as Messiah, as Son, was faithful over God's house. Although verse 12 and 13 in chapter 3 are not included in today's reading, I'm addressing it here as a reminder that we can fall away. There is just no once saved, always saved as taught by Christian clergy. It's not there. Please research what you say you believe, the doctrines of your churches, and see if they are consistent with God's instruction, God's Torah. And this says, quote, Watch out, brothers, so that there will not be in any one of you an evil heart lacking trust, which could lead you to apostatize from the living God. Instead, keep exhorting each other every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will become hardened by the deceit of sin. For we have become sharers in the Messiah, provided, however, that we hold firmly to the conviction we began with, right through until the goal is reached, unquote. When Paul, Shaul, talks about run the race to win the prize, that's not an instantaneous victory, and not everybody wins. Only those who practice, those who follow the instructions of God. We have a responsibility to carry the testimony of Yeshua. That means becoming reconciled to Yeshua through repentance, and guarding the commands of God, following the instructions. This is the sevenfold witness found in the book of Revelation. If you have any questions at all about what I've talked about today or in any of my podcasts, please go to the website and click on the link, Ask the Rabbi, and I will be happy to share more information with you. Let's do this while it is still today, because it might be the last one. Shalom.